I want to open up the show first by um, by basically stating uh, how horrible we feel about the tragedy in Nashville. Um, our not our story, but our our episode uh, deals a lot with youth and children in school, and um, you know it doesn't fall doesn't fall deaf in our ears. So we just wanted to stop and take a second and acknowledge the tragedy that happened in Nashville. Welcome to Generation X Paranormal. I am your host, Logan Mathias. On this show, we embrace every aspect of the paranormal, all the way from bumps in the night to strange things in flight. As a member of the U.S. Armed Forces, I was all over this wonderful world. I feel like most things you see can be explained, but there are definitely a lot of those that you just cannot. With that in mind, join us and welcome to Generation X Paranormal. Hey everybody, welcome back. Um, so today we're going to be talking about uh, a very interesting event that happened in Zimbabwe. Um, it was a UFO sighting outside of Rua, Zimbabwe. It was on September 16th of 1994. Uh, there were 69 pupils at the aerial school aged between, I'd say, 6 and 12. Um, yeah, they all claimed that they saw one or more silver aircraft descend from the sky and land in a field nearby their school. Um, one or more creatures, they may have been or been cited as having worn black. And, um, you know, the children claim that there was some some conversations that may or may not happen between the two. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more. And uh, there was a theme behind it. So, um, yeah, it's, this is a very interesting topic. So kind of leading into that, uh, I've got Nicole here and um, she's going to bring us some more information about it. Go ahead. Hi, everybody. Um, so this incident is extremely interesting. It is something that when I saw it, I was very passionate about. Um, I have worked with children for over 20 plus years um, in different different facets of life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really wanted to get into the investigation of this because... <clears throat> While it happened when I was a child, probably about the same age as these children would have been, maybe a little bit older than them, um, I can't imagine seeing something like that. Sure. And then having people, you know, around the world hear about it, you know, how that affects your life, basically. Yeah. And that's kind of what I want to get into because... You know, there's going to be skeptics. There's going to be those that totally believe you or go above and beyond what you said you saw, seen, you sure. know. So sort of setting up the <clears throat> the area which this event happened. Uh, Rua is a small agricultural center, and it's located roughly about 22 kilometers from the east of capital Harar. And the time of the incident, it was a small town. Um, it had a really interesting uh, local name. It was, it was little more than a crossroads in agricultural uh, region. So if, if you can imagine, it is a a fairly impoverished area. Um, a lot of a lot of agricultural workers were there. Um, and, and there's a lot more to that. But I'm just trying to set up a little bit of a of a landscape. Um, and it looks like most of this incident 
pretty much encompassed that entire area. Uh, it wasn't just where we're going to talk mainly about, but uh, the aerial school. Now, aerial school was an expensive private school. So when I when we talk about this, it's important to kind of understand that this was a, a school with a lot of diversity. There was not only were there, you know, obviously the Bush children that were there, but there was also very affluent white families. So it wasn't, you know, I hate to get into that, you know, the race and, and, you know, kind of standing and social standings. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, there are a lot of people that will, would automatically assume, well, this is just people who don't understand and, and fall from a, a lower intellect. And that is absolutely not the case at all on either side. Um, but at any rate, uh, for two days prior to the incident, uh, there were there were many UFO sightings. OK, and it was all throughout South Af South Africa. Uh, you know, they've been passing through the sky and many people, I guess the ZBC, which is a local radio station, uh, called out to say, Hey, what, what are you guys seeing? And there were a lot of people that reported seeing, uh, you know, different types of aerial phenomenon. Um, and although witnesses interpreted it as a fireball or a meteor, it resulted in a very large wave of, of UFO mania in Zimbabwe. And according to a skeptic, Brian Dunning, uh, the fireball had been a re-entry of the Zenit 2 rocket from the Cosmos 2290 satellite launch. The, the report is the booster broke up into burning pieces and it streaked across the sky, uh, giving the impression of that glow and that impressive light. And it was seen by millions of Africans. You know, I, I will say... Uh, being a being someone who absolutely loves space exploration and is big into uh, you know NASA and things like that. In fact, I was a planetary science minor, so it was right up my alley. Um, you know, there are some very distinctive things that you see when there's a reentry of a, of something of this nature, and and as we get further into the story, you're going to see that it absolutely does not follow that same trajectory. Um, so, at any rate, uh, a local UFO researcher, Cynthia Hine. Uh, recorded other alien sightings at this time, including daylight sightings of a young boy and his mother and report of an alien beings being on the road by a trucker. So that's quite a it's quite a historic event witnessed by very, very many people in South Africa. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's good time to pivot to the event that happened at Ariel School. Um, so then I'm going to go ahead and, and let Nicole kind of start us off with the incident. Okay, so this happened during the morning. Um, it says at 10 a.m. on September 16th, 1994. And the kids had just gone on outside on their morning break. And so this was a, a longer recess, basically, mm -hmm. because the teachers were all inside having a staff meeting. Right. So the kids were super excited. You know, they were outside playing cricket and different games and... Um, as one witness described that they used to have these big logs kind of um, out on the playground as a kind of a perimeter to tell the kids where to kind of oh, stay inside sure. of. Kind of like their own uh, cones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're just big logs, basically. There's no right. fencing or anything around it. But just sure. to kind of this don't go outside this area because you are in Africa. So yeah. there are wild animals and Absolutely. stuff. You know. Um, but they were outside playing. Um they say that, or the teachers say, basically, it probably could have only lasted 10 to 15 minutes because from when they started the meeting to when the kids, you know, notified them of, of something, 
which was are, about 10 to 15 minutes. Which is interesting because for adults, that would be a very probably insignificant amount of time. Right. For but children. I imagine, yeah, I would imagine for children. That's a, that's a pretty long uh, section of time. Yeah. I mean, but they don't know for sure. They don't right. know how long it was there, you know, how long, you know, this was going on before they were notified. Sure. Um, so they were playing and there are a bunch of different, um, testimonies basically from all the different kids. Cause you, you got to understand this is a pretty big playground area. Right. Um, there were different ages. They were all out there at the same time. Sure. Um, they had the young and then they had the older kids and, of course, the older kids are going to be playing with their age. The younger kids are going to be playing with their age. Some right. were eating lunch, you know. Um, so they were in different areas of the playground. So when it comes to their testimony, they all saw the same thing, but in different descriptions. Sure. You know, from where they were on the playground. Some didn't notice it right away. Were the others that were closer to, to where it happened, you know, it was like immediate. Sure. Okay. Yeah. What most of them have said in the beginning is they, they heard a sound. Okay? okay. Some describe it as a buzzing sound. Some describe it, you know, these are children. Sure. And working with children, they don't usually know how to describe things. They don't know the words for things, especially when you're talking about a younger child. You know, some yeah. of the older ones, we get better witness testimony because they, they know the words. They know how to explain it. But I mean, when you're talking honestly, about... Honestly, we get lucky sometimes if adults can even do that. Well, yeah. But like, <laughs> when, you know, and I I work with young children. Right. Um, you know, usually under the age of six. Um, they don't know how to describe things. No. They only know from their world how to describe it. Right. And so, you know, I noticed in a lot of the witness testimony of the older kids, they described it as like an energy source, like a buzzing, like that type. Like if you're near you know, something electrical. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense for the young kids that we're talking about. They said it sounded like, like a, a flute sound, mm-hmm. you know, like a whistling sound, sure. I guess. Um, and that in their, you know, perspective, that's how they know how to describe it. Right. So I think a lot of them heard that most of the kids, all ages heard that sound and they kept looking up and then they would say they saw, you know, this silver, whatever in the sky. Mm-hmm. Right. And but the ones that were closest to the incident um, then saw something land between the trees, like on the outskirts. Probably I don't know how far away this was supposed to be, but it was it was pretty close. Right. Um. And then we'll get into more of this in a second. But you know, they like a few kids ran inside and told the teachers, "Hey, something's here." You know. And they shoot them away. Oh, go away. <laughs> right. Because yeah, <laughs> sure. they're, you know, they're teachers are not just gonna... dismissing it as imagination. Well, and, yeah, yeah, this is the last thing on their minds. That this could be anything. Right. And so then the kids kept coming back, though, like different kids kept coming back in like mass hysteria, like, you know, something's going on. And so finally, in the third or fourth time of a kid coming in, one of the teachers stepped outside to say, you know, what, what are they right, know, like, what the heck's going essentially on? freaking out about? Right. right? Yeah. And she is the one that said that she saw something take off into the sky. Oh, I didn't even realize this. So the teacher actually said that. Yeah, one te- only one teacher. Because huh. she was like, she was the, you know, probably one on the low totem pole was like, go see what the kids are yeah. fussing about. They're lackey. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, whipping boy, go check outside. Right. And then once that happened, then, you know, I'm sure the staff meeting all broke up. and Because right. you know, they could hear kids screaming yeah. and crying. And, I mean, there was something going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And of course, these kids went home, you know, told their parents and their parents were like, what, you know, and then the next day and following days, they had teachers at the school. And these are wealthy families, sure. the majority. So mm-hmm. they're, they want to know, you know, they're yeah. paying tuition for these kids. Of course. What is, what is going on here? You know, yeah. they wanted answers. Um, and the fallout, I mean, <laughs> there was tons of different people that came to investigate this sure. for the following imagine. days. And this happened on a Friday. Okay. Okay. So they had the whole weekend, you know, and then that next week there was just, you know, the BBC came. Yeah. So basically And I turned think they were the like first a, ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the BBC, so this guy, Tim Leach, that worked for the BBC, he was a, uh, basically a reporter for them. And he, he had visited Zimbabwe several times for the wars and stuff mm. that were going on. Um, so, you know, he got all this, he came on September 19th. Okay. So that's what, three days after? Yeah. Um, to film interviews. And there's actually, um, you can see the BBC interview that mm-hmm. he does with the kids. Okay. And he said that he, you know, I could handle these war zones reporting on this, but I couldn't handle this because I didn't know what to make of it, right. basically. Right. You know, and I think further down the line, this guy, which I've seen interviews with him, he's very Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> That's what <laughs> yes, I like to relate right. him to, which is awesome. But he, you know, it kind of destroyed his career. Sure did. Because, um, you know, nobody wants to put any credit to something like this. Right. You know, and so he didn't do so well anymore in the BBC after all this happened. That's insanely unfortunate. You know, you get Mm -hmm. these... Everybody always says, well, there's no evidence. Nobody could could cooperate. We need people of of higher stature to, you know, to second this information. Yet you get it. And now all of a sudden, well, we got to discredit them because there's no way that could have actually happened. Well, and I'm sure a lot of these instances is they think, okay, well, we're going to send these reporters out. We're going to go and make basically make fun of it, you know, find find the loophole here and then report that. But he couldn't find the loophole. (laughs) And I think that's where they're like, oh, well, you know we can't further investigate this. It was like, it was a thing that it was going to stop, you know, then they got to black hole it and it's Mm -hmm. over with. Yeah. Um, so like you said earlier, the ZBC radio is the local radio and they were having people call in about other sightings. Well then they reported about this incident with the school. Okay. And this lady, she, um, her name is Cynthia Hind. Okay, and she's like a UFO researcher. She's like a scientist, okay? Mm-hmm. So she heard about it on the radio and decided to visit the school. Okay, so she went and she interviewed a bunch of the kids on September 20th. So she's there a day after the BBC. Okay. Okay. Um, she also brought a guy with her that, you know, had radioactive... A Geiger counter. Yeah, detective equipment yeah. with him and stuff, and he was, she was going to do the whole thing, right? Yeah. And what's interesting is she has investigated a lot of these types of things um, across Zimbabwe, across, you know, other countries, sure. I think. Um, and so she, you know, she did investigative work. I mean, she interviewed the kids, mm-hmm. looked at where, you know, this was supposed supposedly happened. Um, what she did find is she said, you know, these kids all had diverse backgrounds. It's not like they were all, um, local 
Zimbabwe kids. Sure. Some were from, you know, England. Some were from India. They were mm-hmm. all, you know, different. Um, and yeah, basically, so there, there's black African children from several of the tribes located there. And there were, um, there were like black and white kids, like mixed kids. Um, there were Asian children, um, where, you know, some of their bloodline came from India. Sure. There was white children, um, that most of them had been born there in Zimbabwe, but their parents were from like South Africa or Britain. Cause sure. there's a lot of British people in those areas. Right. Um, and they were all from wealthy families, but they s- described the features of what they saw, um, in different ways, mm-hmm. but it was essentially the same story. Sure. So almost so, a different perspective. When you're talking about children, which I know this, and this is why I found this so just enthralling, I guess, mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of the skeptics want to say, oh, these kids just, you know, there, I guess there's this big wave of like African mass hysteria that happens within these tribes with, right. with things that skeptics talk about. But these kids were not African tribes, mm-hmm. for one, and not to discredit anything. They say, but they, you know, they, they are usually more spiritual and they sure. are more believable about Absolutely. stuff. These kids didn't know what a UFO was, didn't know what aliens were, had no recollection of anything like that. Okay, mm-hmm. and they told stories from their perspective, which she is talking about. So. Like I said before, you got the young kids, which don't have the words for certain things. You got the right. older kids that know how to describe it. So they are describing these things in their own words, in their own way. But when you come to the core of it, it all matches up. Right. Essentially. Sure. And you I know? think that's pretty common. With people who see an event, everybody's going to have a somewhat of a different perspective. But at the root, the... The overall event is still the same. Right. And this is the thing that that I kind of have a problem with. And most people that work with young children, we all understand this, is kids are way smarter than we give them credit for. Mm -hmm. They're always way smarter. Mm -hmm. And even like our court system and, and how that all plays out when bad things happen. They are so quick to discredit what a kid says. Sure. Oh, well, it was in their imagination or they're making it up or, you know, children are people too. Absolutely. They may not have the words for it. And here's what happens. When a kid tells you a story about something and they're very adamant about it and they can keep telling you the same story, there's even more credibility to it because... What happens even in the court system is you ask them, like, if some, they were abused or something. Right. And, you know, kids, when you ask what happened to you over and over and over and over again, they start to think that they're doing or saying something wrong. Sure. And so then they will start to change their story. Mm. And that's how they are discredited and... The court system. That's fascinating. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, the reason I know this is because I I studied, you know, psychology in college and I was going, going to go into that line of work, um, decided against it, um, for this very reason that the majority 
of kids cannot be helped or get any, you know, justice because of that reason. Right. Because they think they're saying or doing something wrong. Oh, well, then, you know, I need to change my story because they, you know. Right. I mean, they definitely probably fall victim to, I mean, how many different ways you want me to tell the same story, you know. And you even see that in like, um, you know, unfortunately, you see that sometimes in like, uh, you know, these uh, interviews when convict or when criminals go in and um, they're suspected of a crime, they'll sit there for hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. until eventually they just break and say, fine, if it if it means I can get the heck out of here, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Right, right. And, and with little kids, you know, they want to, their biggest thing is they want acceptance. They want approval sure. from the adults in their life. And so that's what's bad with the court but with the what we're talking about is they didn't really have anybody i mean they had people asking them just tell us what happened sure and so i don't think they necessarily felt like that was happening to them and but they said the same thing and when you see the emotion on their face that comes from them and some of these young kids were terrified and you can see the fear and they're crying as they're talking about it i mean that hit home with me because it's like i I totally believe them. I don't have a question on this one um, that any of this was false, you know, because there's all these skeptics like, oh, it's mass hysteria or they planned all this, right? The, some of the teachers are like, well, they planned this whole thing, you know? Okay, the, in 10 to 15 minutes, you've got 60-some kids of all different ages that planned the story of a, a craft landing <laughs> yeah. And we're going to tell all the same stuff and, and, you know, we'll get to more of the, the stuff that happens later. Right. I'm sorry, but that can't happen. No. Because a kid will break and kids love to tell on each other. Yeah, they <laughs> sure do. I mean, think about your own kids. You know, they want to tattle on mm-hmm. each other, you know. There's always the enforcer. Yeah, there's always somebody that's going to break. Right. You know, and be like, oh, we just made it up, you know, or whatever. I mean, and what the scrutiny these kids went on later in their lives. Yeah. They would eventually say, yeah, we just made it up. But there's no way. Even adults, 60-some adults can't do that. You know, and yeah. little kids, they're not going to do that. I'm, I'm sorry, you know. Um, but anyway. I mean, arguably, some of these these kids that turn into adults probably wish they did make it up. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, till, till this day, they say that they saw it. Right. Um, but anyway, so... I mean, they did all these interviews. They actually had the kids come in and had them draw pictures mm-hmm. of what they saw okay. with no, you know, and they all essentially drew basically the same thing, which right. is crazy in different ways of what they saw. And we've got pictures that we're going to put up um, of, of these drawings that the children mm-hmm. did. Yeah, we'll put that on, of course, the Facebook group and when I when I do edit our video, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, most of the kids said that they were short looking beings, mm-hmm. you know, that came out of the craft. They described very large eyes. Like some of the kids said, you know, they said they're in the middle of the face on the sides of their head and said they were very big. And they all, all of them said they were black. Right. Um, you know, some of the older kids described them as like like an American football is <laughs> what they said, you know, cause they had, right. they knew how to describe it that sure. way. But the little kids were like the big eyes, yeah. you know, yeah. um, pointy at the end, you know? Yeah. And so that is all consistent. A lot of them said that they were in 
wearing black or that their skin was black, something mm. like that. But that the head was silver or like clear looking, like a whitish, mm. like translucent. That's you know, wild. Um, they didn't know how to describe that. And there's, it was very smooth, like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, they didn't know how to describe it. Like, no no friction to it at all. Just mm-hmm. like, a, almost like a pane of glass. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, one of the kids said that he thought at first that the it might have been a, a gardener that they knew about, but then he saw that the figure had long, straight black hair, but it didn't look like a black person's hair like that he was used to seeing. Okay. You yeah. know, like sure. a, an African. Mm-hmm. And so he realized that that's not what it was. Right. Okay. Um, some of them thought, you know, because there were Zimbabwe bush kids mm-hmm. there, yeah. thought that it could have been, and I don't know how to pronounce this, a Zvikwambo. Yeah, I mean, Which is a spirit of a human raised by magic, you know, because they've got that magical thing with them. Sure. Or a Tokoloshi, which is an evil goblin. Uh, there's a creature of for- folklore there, I guess. And and those kids that thought that's what it was burst into tears, thought you know, thinking that they were going to come eat them, basically, because they thought yeah. they were goblins, right? Because they didn't have any... They knew they weren't human. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And how else would you, as a child of that age, even be able to rationalize that other than doing well, that? Well, you couldn't. I yeah. mean, that's the thing. Mm. Um, and there's more to this, you know, but I, I want to reiterate that these kids are terrified. Yeah. You know, they don't know what they're seeing but yet they can't look away just like most probably adults sure. you know there's just all this going on and the people in their life don't believe them mm. you know and what we find later is they grow up and what i i see is that these adults have ptsd absolutely and uh, and i'll go ahead and kind of speak to that a little bit um as listeners may or may not know i'm a, I'm a man of military background um you know, I suffer from PTSD. Uh, Nicole's seen it on many occasions. And um, you can usually, there's some good, clear indicators or markers or whatever you want to call it from someone suffering from PTSD. And from the interviews and the and the different things that have followed them since the incident, I mean, I never want to say anything's classic PTSD because it, it rears its head in so many different ways. And it takes years and years to unpack. So there's no, no cookie cutter PTSD. But I see myself in so many of those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so after she had, you know, Cynthia Hine had visited, I think uh, Tim Leach, uh, the, because he knew the BBC wasn't going to do anything beyond that first, you know, interview. Yeah. He made a call to a professor of psychiatry at Harvard University, Dr. John Mack. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, this is what has happened. There's been this sighting, you know, would you come and, you know, talk to these children? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So it was a couple months after, so it was in November of 1994. And he talked to these children individually, you know, he did his psychoanalysis on them and, you know, asked them questions. Right. Um, and he had 
I guess previously, previously, sorry, published a book on UFOs. So he was invested in the topic. So um, he really wanted to kind of dig into this. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen, you know, clips of him, you know, there of him interviewing these students. Um, and it's very, you know, very much a psychoanalysis. Right. You know, he's letting them speak in their own words. He's not leading them. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just, you know, having them describe their feelings. And I don't think up to that point, anybody had done that. It was just like, what did you see? Sure. You know, draw me what you saw. And this was more about the feeling of of how they felt when it happened. You know, what they were doing at the time, which is what they, you do in psychology. You know, because you're kind of. Basically have them unpack it for themselves. Right. You Mm -hmm. bring the memory to the forefront. Um, because most of these kids have probably pushed it back already. Sure. You know, after a couple months of being told that you made it up. Right. right? Um, so it's bringing So you see some of the kids are crying. Some mm-hmm. of the kids, their faces are just like, you know, they don't want, you can tell they don't want to bring it back. Right. Like they're scared to. And they've already scared calloused to sit, up a little yes, bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting when he does this, you know, he got a lot more, um, Descriptions and right. a lot more information. So we'll talk about a little, a few of those things. So, um, he would, I, th- I think, uh, Cynthia Hine interviewed them in groups of four to six, where he like kind of separated them mm-hmm. by themselves. Um, and which I would imagine that's probably good because that you're not around other other peers so maybe you can relax a little bit right 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 so what mac found basically across all of these interviews is they all described seeing basically or hearing the sound of course first and then seeing like a silver disc in the side in the sky like landing in the in, in between the trees and the brush okay, okay. um they all describe like kind of like a a disc shape or like a round at the top flat at the bottom. Um, one kid talked about how there was a platform around it, hmm. like on the outside okay. and that they saw these creatures emerge short creatures in black. You know, some had the long black hair, some did not. Um, the thing that I find interesting is, you know, some kids talked about how they were just staring at them with their mm-hmm. eyes, like staring at them. But And they talked about, like, one that was walking across the field. But when they say walking, they don't mean, like, some of the older kids described it as, like, how a man would walk on the moon. Okay, yeah. Okay, like, you know, that slow. They said, and, but the little kids said slow motion. Slow right. motion, yeah. you know, slowly. But very, you know, fluid and... It was just weird. And then they would, like, see them, but then not see them. Yeah, that is so weird. When I, when I saw that uh, interview, that, honestly, that scared me more than any of Yeah, it. like, they said that it would go from, like, if it started, let's say if it started from the right side and went to the left, like, they never saw it go from the left to the right again. It was like, just reappear back in the original spot that it was. And so this one was moving around, but then they t- they didn't know if they saw multiple or if they saw only two or if they were just disappearing and reappearing again. Right. They couldn't really tell. You know, these are young kids. I mean, they're probably frightened to I death. Mean, you at know, forty nine this year, that would literally put me in panic. 
Yeah. And, you know, what they all describe, the, the majority of them describe, which this is the thing that is extremely creepy. And this is what John Mack actually got them to talk about. Cause he, he said, you know, what were they doing basically? And, and they said, well, they were staring with the big eyes staring at me. And he's like, and what were you doing? Well, I was staring back at them and they, you know, and how did you feel? And, you know, of course they all said terrified, but I wanted to look like, right. it's like they had this pulling to look at them. Sure. Um, almost like they were in a trance. Yeah. You know, and, and they described the feeling as being afraid, but also being excited. Like their heart was pumping, but then it would calm down and then it would pump again. Like they wanted to be a part of it, but they also wanted to turn around and run away. Yeah. But like, like they almost couldn't, like they wanted to know. And he asked them, you know, what do you think they wanted? What do you, you know? And he's like, I think they wanted me to come with them. Like they all said that. Yeah, that is frightening. Like the ones that he interviewed that of the clips that I've seen is like, I, f- I feel like they wanted me to come, you know, but I knew I shouldn't, but I still kind of wanted to. Yeah, that is absolutely And scary. he's like, well, how do you know that? Did he, you know, did they say something to you? And he's like, well, yeah. Well, how did they, you know, how did they say that? And that, and that, that's the thing is they say that, that he was leading them. He's just asking questions. Leading True. them would be saying something like, well, he said this to you. What did he say to right, you? Right. You know, he didn't say that. He said, well, how did they communicate this? Yeah, they how were, did they, you know, he's just asking a question and letting them talk about it, you know? Yeah. And, and I saw that interview too. And I mean, he wasn't doing some Leo inception thing or anything. I no. mean, he was letting these kids actually talk. Right. And if they couldn't find the words for it, he would try to find a way to help them talk about it, right. you know, which is not leading. No. You know, there's a very big difference between leading and then, you know, helping them find the words, basically. Yeah. And he was a trained psychiatrist from Harvard. Well, I mean, even basic know? communication, like even how we're doing this right here, you know, it's it's no no strings attached here, kids. This, this, this is just a process. And if we're in a conversation... You've seen it a million times like everybody else. You'll be in mid-thought, can't think of the next word, and what happens? You get hung up. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to retread that. And unless somebody comes and says, hey, idiot, you meant this. And you go, oh, yeah. And then you keep going. Right. That's basically all he was doing. Right. Right. And so, you know, he said, and he you know, got that across about, they said they wanted to come with you. And he's like, well, how do you know that? And they said, he, or, you know, the older kids had communicated and others just said, uh, it was just in my head. He's like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, what do you mean? It was, how did it get in your head? Right. You know? And, and he's a fantastic psychiatrist, I think, yeah. um, watching his process yeah, of this. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, they basically said, I don't know. It was just in there. Like, through, and the little kid said through the eyes, through his eyes, into my eyes, basically. Yeah. So I would say, like, telepathically, they were communicating with these kids like and it's like they were in a trance while they were mm-hmm. looking at them and they were you know wanting them to come to them but Jeez. not that is you know <clears throat> now whether they were in a state of fear and they were just frozen you know that could be more sure what it was of like being cured because kids are very curious and they are less afraid of some things than most adults are because we yeah. already have our preconceived notions of things, sure. you know. 
So they're very curious, and they would be more likely to be the ones to go investigate something. Right. So whether they were just in kind of a state of fear, but excitement at the same time, which is what most of them have described being. Right. That's most likely what the case was with that. Yeah. And even to expand a little bit on that, and I agree, but I'm also in the camp a little bit of, I could see that with 10, 12, maybe a handful of kids, Mm -hmm. but I get the sense that they were all kind of locked in like that. And it would be, in my humble opinion, it would be really difficult for every one of them to be that. I mean, granted, they were all frightened. No question about that. Yeah. But for every single one of them to be dialed in like that. I mean, I can't even get, you know, three kids to listen to me at one particular time, let alone 60 some odd, you know. Um, so it, even even to that point, I almost feel sometimes could there have been something that these creatures were doing to get them all locked in? Well, that's to the next point. Right. <laughs> um, he basically asked them, well, why do you think they did that? You know, what, what's your thought, you know, on, on why they wanted you to be there looking at them, you know, and, um, (laughs) all the kids had different, I mean, they were essentially the same thing, but they Mm -hmm. had different things of the way they basically interpreted it. So there was one, um, kid that said that he was a fifth grader, I think. And he said he was warned that something was going to happen. Mm. Okay. And he said, well, what something? And he, he said, well, that, that we need that we shouldn't have pollution. Okay. Yeah. So, and these are all environmentally themed, which is what I find interesting. Sure. Okay. And then there was an 11 year old girl that said, I think they want people to know that we're actually making harm on this world and we mustn't get too technologic technologic is the word she used. Right. But basically we're using too much technology. Sure. We're over in the, in the- Inundated mm-hmm. with technology. There was another kid that said that he was told that the world would end because they, that, well, they are not taking care of the planet. So right. we are not taking care sure. of the planet. That is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And what I find. It's terrifying, <clears throat> not for me that they're telling us this. It's terrifying that we are making that big of a mess of our own planet that it is getting out there. In outer space, the other beings know about it. Yeah. That is what is terrifying to me. Absolutely. And, and this I think, is 94. Right. And I was about to say, with it being in 1994, yes, environmental causes were a thing. Absolutely. I'm old enough to remember all that. However, it is not the the current, um, the current political uh, hotbed of craziness that it is right now. You know, right. And, Back and, then, nobody was doing much except for cleaning out the rivers. And, right. Right. And there you wasn't know. this, you know, whether whatever side you fall on on the fence politically, you know, whether you want to say it was it, right now we're virtue signaling or if, you know, you got people that are, you know, way too far in, in, in environmentalism saying that, you know, we got to throw all our technologies away and live in trees. I mean, you know, we are definitely at a crossroads in at least as a human race and what we're doing to the planet. And if you can't see that, I mean, uh, it's just it's just what I I know scientifically it's proven. So to mm-hmm. to think that way back in 1994, um, how in the world could these kids have that in their head? 
especially they yeah they wouldn't especially in in Africa where they don't have and we had mentioned before that this was a very agrarian area these mm-hmm. people didn't have TVs these people didn't have you know uh, they may have had a radio or two in their village I would imagine if that's the case I mean they barely even had electricity so how would they even have the fort right or the uh, the knowledge to know that there was that much damage being done to the earth. Well, you know, when I was a child in 94, barely older than these kids, I didn't think about any of that stuff no. until I got to be an adult because, it, you know, now we're at a crossroads. Right. Now yeah. it's dangerous, and that's the only reason anybody's thinking about it. Yeah, and that's you know, why we wait till the last possible minute to do anything about it. Sure. Um, so that's what's just, it's crazy to me. And this next um, quote comes from a little girl named Liesl Field. And it just, it honestly, it makes me emotional because it kind of breaks my heart because this is our future if we don't stop. Okay. Whether or not you believe in it or not, it's going to happen if we don't stop. But she said that, that this creature sent her a message through the eyes. This is the one I was talking about. She said through the eyes. It was like in the world, all the trees would just go down and there would be no air and people will be dying. I think that in space there is no love, but down here there is. And that was the quote from her. And he asked her, um, you know, then what, what do you think they wanted, want you to do with that? And she said, well, I don't know. And his interpretation of it was that they're not like warning us and telling us you better do this or do or find or giving us a solution to stop. It's just basically, Hey, this is happening. Right. You know, just like making us aware that this is happening. Yep. Not necessarily telling us these are the steps you need to do. Just like this is what will happen. And maybe do we, we don't know, you know, did they do the same thing to their planet? Sure. Have they had to leave? Maybe they're, you know, well, and way advanced, and they know they followed the same path. Maybe they're trying to tell us. And also to add to that, there are in 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 some ways, you know, we talk about the paranormal. There's a ton of things we cover on on this podcast, mm-hmm. whether that be from ghosts or or cryptids, or whatever have you, and of course UFOs. And out of all of them, I think I'm probably the most passionate about UFOs, and the reason for that is. That is something that, as this story here shows you, it doesn't matter where in the world you are. There are experiences worldwide with this, and and, and that's a given. But I think the part that I guess I have a lot of issues with is that, you know, first of all, we we don't allow kids to to give us information. But to your point about um, the things we're doing to our planet and who could be telling this, there are a lot of people that believe it's us. There are people that believe that humanity existed at one point and left and went and lived and are currently living in other planets and other universes and everything else. Now, I know that's a big stretch and I know that's a lot to chew, but if that were the case and these were human beings and maybe they lived here, maybe they didn't, maybe they were close, they were still a human race. I mean, when you unpack a lot of different things, and I know this is going really deep into the woods, but at one particular point, this is scientifically proven that Venus, Earth, and Mars were all exactly the same. They all could have sustained life. 
They all had rivers. They all had oceans. They had everything we enjoy today on Earth. And the reason why Venus lost it is it was too close to the sun, so it burned it all up and turned it into a, you know, a hot bed of gases. And the reason why Mars doesn't have it is because it was too far from the sun and it just froze the heck up. So who are we to say, and I know this is a very big departure in what we're talking about, but who's to say that humanity didn't exist on either one of those planets and had to leave? Mm-hmm. Maybe those are the ones coming back saying, hey, idiot, you know, you don't even have to look too far. Look to your left and look to your right. 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 It it, it just... Working with kids is a passion for me. It mm-hmm. always has been because they're young innocents, you know. And, you know, everybody's like, well, why is one of the biggest UFO incidents ever happened happened to a bunch of kids, right? <laughs> why didn't it happen to adults that can do it? Because... Adults, like I said before, we already have our preconceived notions. Right. We have made our minds up about something, and we are most are very close-minded. They're, you know, have they're not going to listen. Right. Whereas the children are the next generation. They are the ones that, you know, if they have an experience like this, that are more likely to try to change the world and do something about it. Of course. Right. So if I were someone from another planet, would I come to a bunch of adults? Absolutely not. Why? (laughs) I would appear to the kids because they're going to be more open. They're going to listen better, you know, Mm -hmm. because they don't, you know, they, they just, they want to do what's right when you're young. It's, it's all these experiences as you grow older that basically harden you Mm -hmm. and make you, you know, not willing to do certain things. Yeah. And that's not everybody. But, no, but most kids, you know, nobody is born hating other people. No. You know, when you, and I know this because I worked with very young children, everybody loves everybody else. You know, in yeah. the class, there's no racism, there's no nothing. I mean, everybody accepts each other for who they are. The reason they change is because they either listen to other friends they listen to parents they listen to social media mm-hmm. tv they learn that crap they yes, learn they it do. okay and that changes who they are and and essentially makes them who they become now they can go away from that and mm-hmm. become a better person you know by learning different things but no child is essentially born that way no where they feel these things. Yeah, okay? hate is not a, a... Is a learned thing. Is a learned thing. It's not uh, something that you come out of the womb with. Mm-mm. Now, granted, you know, a lot of people say that it's a human trait, uh, you know, violence and things like that. I mean, okay, maybe to a degree. And I think violence in, the, in that sense would be, hey, I've got this peach. You don't have this peach. You are hungry. You may try to come after me for this peach. That's right. about what I think we're born with. Well, survival. Right. I mean, survival. We are here. We are selfish because we are meant to survive and protect ourselves right. and keep ourselves alive. Mm-hmm. And that's why people become so selfish. Sure. Um, but, you know, these kids have been approached by this. Okay. And if I had been, and I, I am already a person who does what I can every day to t- to help protect the planet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we recycle. I'm very adamant about trying to recycle. I try to, you know, 
not use as much plastic as possible. You know, I've got my reusable shopping bags and I have changed all our stuff over. Like we, we don't even use shampoo or conditioner <laughs> bottles like right. I've got in the bars, yeah. Yeah. which are better for our health anyway. Cause yeah, they're I free, don't of, a difference either, free so. of chemicals. Mm-hmm. Actually, my hair feels better. Yeah. And this is not like, I'm not trying to tell everybody to just throw, right. go throw your yeah, throw bottles your away. away. I'm just saying that I already, the reason I was interested in this story is because I already have that, you know, I'm very connected to nature. I love nature. Right. I'm already a person that is not huge on the technology. Um, <laughs> yes, I know. You know, I because I love nature, I'd right. rather be out doing that sure. than being watching TV or doing, you know, being on my phone 24 hours a day. Yep. And with working with young children, I have seen the effect over the last 20 years of what technology has done to them. Right. You know, kids have gone from playing outside, you know, getting all their energy out, doing all these things to now all they want to do is play video games, play on the iPad. They want to play on the phone. They don't even want to step a foot outside. They don't want to ride a bike. They don't want to do any of those things. And in turn, now we've got these kids with a bunch of mental disorders. We've got depression in kids. We've got kids that are overweight and obese. They're just throwing medication at them because they're they're upset. That's even not even little kids. No. You know, that's the teenagers. That's the, you know, and we have a foster daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, she's gone off to college now. But, you know, people her age... I don't know how many of her friends now are on depression pills. Yeah. And honestly, they have no reason to be depressed. No. They live pretty good lives. They have <laughs> no, you know, they don't have to work. They don't no. have to hardly do anything but just be. And they are depressed and have lost their place in life. Yeah. But yet all they do is have those phones in their faces. And I'm sorry. I think there's a connection there. Sure. We're losing humanity. Yes. And maybe that's the warning. Maybe that's the warning. Don't become, what was the quote? Don't become too technological. Or right, technologies. Technologized yeah. is what the kid said. But do not become more technological. Because I don't think it was just about the environment. I think it's also about us. And that's where I kind of sometimes go, that's a very human thing to say to another human. They are looking out for humanity. Mm-hmm. And this, these visitors had that in mind. So, yeah, I mean, kind of, kind of down in the back because wow, it's there's so many layers to this, you know. Yeah, uh, and it's so complex. But what were some of the, um, what were some of the after effects? I mean, what what happened with with this moving after you know uh, Mac did his interviews? Well, I guess he, you know, he wrote a book. I guess it's a, it's a book called Passport to the Cosmos. Mm-hmm. And he said, after some years of research, he was astonished to discover in case after case, powerful messages about the human threat to the Earth's ecology were being conveyed to the experiences in vivid, unmistakable words and images. He personally deemed it quite possible that the protection of the Earth's life is at the heart of the abduction phenomenon. Because he, mm-hmm. after this, he got really heavy into it. Okay. Sure. And he actually set up, like, support groups for those people that thought they had been abducted by aliens. Mm-hmm. Okay, because he said they need a voice. They need to be able to talk to other people with their experiences because, as, you know, we find with this, which I'm about to talk about, is, you know, they were basically shunned by society and made mm-hmm. fun of. You know, he personally um, 
I feel really sorry for this man yeah. because I think he was a brilliant psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, most people that when they experience something that they don't understand, they get quite passionate about it. Sure. And when you're passionate about something that most people don't believe, they quote you as being crazy right. or, you know, off your rocks or whatever. And mm-hmm. he was a Harvard doctor. You well, know, he was doctor a doctor of psychiatry. Right. He was a Harvard doctor of psychiatry and a Pulitzer Prize winner. Yeah. So you go back to Harvard after this experience and say, hey, I want to investigate alien abductions. What do you think Harvard's response was? Yeah, I can imagine. So he... I mean, he almost lost his standing. They, he had, a, like, a prominent office, and they moved him off campus mm-hmm. into this tiny office. They did have, like, a board of people that went over, and, and he kept his standing. They gave him a standing back because they found he wasn't, you know, basically sure. crazy. But, I mean, just the newspapers and the news yeah. outlets, just, you know, UFO crazy doctor and yeah. all this stuff. And I feel really sorry for this man because he, I think he was really trying to help and really investigate because he had become passionate after looking into these children's faces, mm-hmm. seeing what they had to say. He knew that they weren't lying. He said, there's no way that they're lying or making this up. Right. Right. He knows how to break, you know, as a psychiatrist sure. to break down things. And see, you know, if people are in a psychosis, mm-hmm. right? He yeah. And if you don't trust a Harvard doctor of psychology to to be able to break down, uh, you know, a story, then who in the hell are you going to trust? Right. You know. You know, and I, f- I just feel, you know, he did as much as he could to bring awareness to it, but, and he knew, you know, what it would probably do. I mean, Tim Leach, you know, he basically became nothing for the BBC after that. And now Dr. Mack, you know, um, you know, was toted as being crazy, Mm -hmm. you know, in the U S the only one that didn't is the Cynthia Hinn, but she was already a UFO. Yeah. She was (laughs) already what people probably consider on the fringe of science anyway. Right. So this probably actually helped her career. I'm sure it did. Yeah. Um, as far as those two, I mean, they took a a beating for it, you know, to try to stand up and say, Hey, this happened. They tried to help these kids. Yep. Um, the one thing I did find is, so apparently there was a sighting the day before by some of the kids. Oh, okay. Which a lot of people don't know, but I guess some of the kids had drawn, like when they drew the pictures, they drew one object that looked like a cigar and they labeled it Thursday. And then on Friday they labeled the, the dome shaped one. Hmm. So I guess they, um, is, she said suit two boys. Well, this was actually, let me preface this by saying there was an, another person. This was the guy that built the Geyer counter and everything sure. that was with her. Mm-hmm. He's the one that talked to them. So two boys told him that on Thursday, September 15th, they saw a craft with flashing lights flying above the power lines at the other end of the playground. It was moving and then disappeared instantly and then reappeared somewhere else and then vanished. Um, so they went to the location where um, this happened because at the the set, uh, on the Friday one they didn't find any, but it was kind of flat ground there, so they didn't find anything from where the kid the kids. But the, for the Thursday one, they said that they saw it. They went and there was flattened grass mm. and like wedge markings where maybe you know like legs of a craft had gone down into the wow. ground. Okay, yeah. there are pictures of this by the way that yeah, we will we'll, put up. We'll put them up, yeah. Uh huh. Um, and they said 
you know, the, the earth was really dry um, because there had been kind of a, a drought in Zimbabwe mm-hmm. at the time. Right. So it wasn't like it was wet where somebody could have pushed something in. This sure. was something heavy. Yeah. I mean, for some the grass is really tall, by the way. It's like right. four foot tall, five foot tall. Mm-hmm. And it was all flattened in like a circular pattern. Hmm. Okay. You know, what I find interesting, and I, I don't know if you're going to cover this here in a second or not, but there have been so many sightings of like the Tic Tac. And mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of ufologists that believe that the Tic Tac is a drone. So it kind of falls in line a little bit with that, that if it's a drone, so they you checked s- it out, right? First. You send your drone out to check it out make sure nothing crazy is mm-hmm. going on. And that's when you come in, you know, 24 hours, I guess afterwards. I don't know. Well, I, I did a little bit more research about this. Like, okay, well, if there's a sighting by the kids the day before, well then clearly it's got to be seen other places, right? Yeah. So apparently, it says a UFO was tracked on radar twice a day before their encounter. Hmm. An unidentified object traveling across the Atlantic at high speed was pinged first by Mexican radar, wow. then shortly after by commercial radar operators from Johannesburg and South Africa, adding that radar contact was eventually tracked to a location near the Zimbabwean border with Botswana. <laughs> <laughs> so they Bingo. tracked this yeah. before these kids saw that. So that's even more credibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 amazing that, you know, while we have all this technology and we can track all this, now all of a sudden, you know, you, we track an object from, you know, Mexico to Zimbabwe. But what does it do? Disappear? Now it, you know... It shows up in front of kids, but, oh, it, it didn't happen, you know? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, they're, you know, and of course the skeptics come out and they say, well, this didn't happen. It was mass hysteria that the kids were playing a prank. And, you know, and I say it the way I'm saying it because <laughs> it's just ridiculous at this point. You're always going to try to find something, you know? Right. Um, they're saying that, they, you know, and of course, like I said before, people always discount kids because they're kids right but i don't find that to be true yeah you can tell when things are imagined and when they're not you know when you're talking about santa or the easter bunny things that we've told them are true and Mm -hmm. you know but they don't claim that they've seen them which spoiler alert kids yeah they just (laughs) believe it shouldn't be you know (laughs) right um and they you know they say that the the kids in zimbabwe would not have Exposure to modern media, no. so they wouldn't have known. Yeah, about UFOs, mm-hmm. and then of course, then they couldn't, you know, debunk that. So right. they went after, you know, Cynthia Hind and, mm-hmm. and John Mack, basically, yeah. and saying that oh, the way they interviewed the kids was, you know, allowed to listen. So then their stories are all exactly the same. What they've said, they are not the same. They're right. not the same story. Yeah. They are identical in what the description of the craft looked like, the description of the aliens, but they all have different stories of how they saw it and how they felt. Mm-hmm. Although they were very similar, they weren't identical. And if kids are going to plan something, they're going to try to make it identical. Right. You know? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I mean, how many times have you seen any kind of event around all your friends and you said, Oh, well, I saw this. And your friend goes, well, no, I saw this. The the route still stays the same. The events still happen. Right. But everybody's got a different perspective. And I'm sorry, but <laughs> these kids 
if nothing had happened to them, and they had just made this up, they wouldn't all have PTSD and still stick to this story. I mean, because they're going through, you know, people think they're crazy. They don't tell the people in their lives. One lady said she doesn't even has never even told her husband. Yeah. Because they don't want to be looked at as crazy. Now, would you hold to that if you had made something up? No, of course not. Of course not. No. And you, you know? We, I know we'll get to her shortly, but, you know, we get to Emily Trim. I mean, this poor girl's life's been completely in upheaval. Yeah, Emily Trim is interesting. Um, her and her brother were there at the school. Mm-hmm. She... Um, She's one of them that, you know, saw something. We have a, you know, picture of what she she drew. And basically, you know, it's the the oval shape, you know, craft with legs and, like, stairs coming down. And on her picture, she writes, it was silver shining. It was oval shaped. Okay. Mm-hmm. Her parents were um, very religious. I think right. just Christian. Yeah, I don't know Christian, what, mm-hmm. you know. But so... I don't know that they disbelieved her. They know that something happened, but they wouldn't allow themselves to go into it because it yeah. questions their faith. So they immediately pulled their kids out and took off to Canada. Yeah. And what shame. she says is they never talked about it. So this was repressed, you know, and her brother, I think, had, you know, lots of nightmares and stuff afterwards. She she was clearly a mess as an adult. Right. Um but she is someone that has come out about it, and she talks about it now. She traveled back to the school, yeah, and visited, and you know, and you could you could see the PTSD. Oh, sure. In her from it, you know, and she's actually an artist, so mm-hmm. she draws what she remembered. And up to that point, she d- she hadn't seen the drawing that she made when she was a kid because the school still had it. When mm-hmm. she went back, they were able to find it and show it to her, and she's like, "This is exactly what I draw in my art now." Yeah. That's not a made-up thing. No, it's not. Yeah, so she she's very um, interesting. Um, her witness testimony is saying she remembers playing outside on those logs I talked about, where like mm-hmm. the perimeter. And she she's the one that said that the beings were like the head was translucent looking, and that they reached out. Mm. Okay, to her, and she personally feels um, she was on a, another podcast. And she, she said that she feels that maybe some of the kids were actually taken on the craft and brought back and they don't remember it. Mm. She said because for 10 to 15 minutes for this to be going on is an awful long time to just be staring at something and nothing point. happening. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, she doesn't remember anything if that actually did. And what's to say that they, if they got all the way here, that they couldn't bend time and, you know. Well, yeah, if she, they were in slow motion. Right, and, they're moving in slow motion. I mean, that's right. scary as you know what. But we will put up some her her drawing um, and some of her artwork that she draws. And a lot of it is, you know, she says that her art is a, a manifestation of the messages she received. Mm. Um, that she's, like, pulling to the forefront now. Right. You know, and she's finally able to speak about, which is, it's, it's pretty sad. It is. And then there's another um, um, witness as an adult now that the, in 2014, the Mail and Guardian, they spoke to her, but she didn't want to release her name. Yeah. You know, of yeah. course. Of course. You know, um, but she said that she fears that they will return and then she consents when they're back in the atmosphere every time they come. Mm. So there's some connection there. 
Yeah, and it's <clears throat> it's interesting because you know one of the, one of the reports, uh, and I can't remember which which one said it. I was a young girl, but she said that it was like a buzzing sound, like electricity, right? Mm-hmm. And if you fall into the belief that they can they can move and get in, you know, different galaxies and different you know areas. Obviously, they're not using propulsion like we've got now where they use force. Maybe they use electricity. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. Because what I find incredibly intriguing is that they spoke to him through telepathy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if it, you don't have to be a neurosurgeon to know that the mind, how it receives information is through an electrical charge. Mm-hmm. That is how we, that's how we live. I mean, even our very heartbeat is an electrical impulse. So, well, what? A lot of people may not know that, right? And you just have a medical yeah, that's background. True. That's a good point. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, there's an electrical charge that hits your heart, and that's with the contraction. So why couldn't they, if they can manipulate energy and electricity to travel or to do any other type of uh, mechanics, would it not be insane that they would have the the ability to to speak to you through an electrical charge? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, anything's possible at this yeah. point. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the one thing, and this is a quote from her, so I apologize for the one curse word that's in it. But Let it fly. Um, we'll throw an E on this episode. Yeah, she <laughs> said, they weren't wrong, though, about the environmental shit, were they? Yeah. If you go out there now, you'll see the Miambo forests have disappeared for firewood. So that was her one big statement that she said. She said it happened. She goes, I don't talk about, I don't like talking about it, basically. You know, her whole interview. And she didn't say a lot, but that was one big statement that she said. She said, they were right about it. They were. They are absolutely right. You know, not to throw the environmental, but that seems like the main mission for, for appearing to these kids. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it warrants apology. I mean, I'm at that point where, you know, I... The day that we accept that environmental cause is not a political uh, arena to to shoot each other in, um, you know, that will be the day we actually do something positive for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you and I both come from different backgrounds. We have different beliefs, but we, you know, we've been married for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, the day we can accept the fact that we're different. And the day we can ex- accept the fact that we don't see things the same way, much like these childrens had had different childrens children had different perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Earth is in trouble. We know that. Yeah. I mean, we even have look at look at the television these days. Our commercials are all about electric cars. I mean, you can't go five seconds without some kind of electric car being thrown at you. Right. So, the day we stop virtual signaling, saying that you know. Environmental causes is a, is a is a left wing thing, you know. Right. The day that we can do that, we might actually save our asses. We already right. said the shit word once, so we can cuss in this one now. <laughs> it's well, already and explicit. I, I hate I hate the fact that it becomes a political thing because yeah. it shouldn't be a political thing. This is our world, you it know. Is. It's the only one we got. Whether you're in the U.S. and you're talking about a Democratic or Republican mm-hmm. thing, or you're in. Europe and you know I know you know for the United Kingdom it's all about the you know the Tory stuff right. or this or that and I don't know all the the um sure 
language for that, what mm-hmm. they call certain things. But I do know, like, the, for the British, they call them the Tories that, that kind of run mm-hmm. the country for, you know, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, all that. Um, whether you're in Africa or you're, you know, in a communist country, what no matter where you are, it is not a political thing. No. It shouldn't be a political thing. Right. This is about where we live. Mm-hmm. Right? Take it to your own house. If your own house is crumbling down around you, are you not going to do something to prevent it from getting worse? No, no you're yes. going to go out to Lowe's or Home Depot. You're going to go get what you need to get or hire a contractor to come in and fix it because you don't want to live in something that's going to be destroyed and possibly kill you. Right. right. We need to start viewing the planet that way. Sure. Because this is the only one we have. And, you know, so many people are like, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just go and leave and go to Mars. Okay. Well, that's not that simple. Yeah. Have you seen Mars? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to live on Mars. (laughs) I don't know about you. I mean, I mean, no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Our planet is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. It is. You know, we've got everything that we need here. We need to take care of it. We need to take care of the animals. We need to stop polluting. I know plastic's easier. I get it. Yeah, it is. You know, but we don't need it for everything that we do. There are so, you know, we're, because we have all this technology now, we know how to make things out of other things. We don't need the plastic anymore. No. There's bamboo products. There's hemp products. You can make the same stuff that's out in like more strong, stronger, and then you don't have the plastic waste that will actually break down. Yeah. But people have become too comfortable, I think, and it's too hard mm-hmm. to spend that extra effort to do what's right. Yep. And and yet here we I don't have... mean to offend anyone, no, but no. it that's where we are. Sure. But this is how we reverse that. We need to start using other things. You know, because the animals are dying, our air is getting clogged up, you know, we're cutting down trees, we're all because we just don't want to deal with it. It's, it's, it's the easy path. Yeah, it's the easy path. And we're here in 1994, we had an an alien potential, whether you want to believe it or not, potentially you have an alien species come down and tell you that you're, what you're doing is, is really impacting where you live. And I think, like what you said, they chose a specific audience for a reason. Mm-hmm. They chose, they, I think they took that tic-tac, they went down there, they saw, hey, there's this really agrarian area that if anybody's going to be impacted by environmental issues, right. it's going to be them. Well, and there's like six, well, there's like a hundred kids, I think, or so outside and 60 right. some of them saw this. Right. So you, that's a huge audience. Oh, I mean, that's, you know, what, 60%? They're not going to get so, this anywhere else. <laughs> right, you know. Unless they land right in the middle of a big city. Yeah, and even know? then they'd probably think that, you know, it was some kind of stunt or event set up. But yeah. listen, folks, I um, I know that, that there are people from all kinds of different walks of life that listen to this show. And the one thing we can all can all take to heart is we all walk the same earth, mm-hmm. you know. And whether whether or not we see it as an issue, I mean, if you if you follow the heart of this story, it took an outside influence to tell us to even bring it to the forefront, you know. And it's it's 1994, and here we are, 2023, and Didn't are listen. we better? No, 
And I, you know, I feel like a personal responsibility to even say this because that's my generation they were speaking to because I was about that age. Yeah. You know, of those children, one of the older children. Right. Um, and one of the things that, um, what was her name? Emily? Yeah. Emily. Emily said was that they, they kind of connected with her and kind of told her to speak about it. Right. Okay. She's trying to do that now. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't going to listen. And like I said, I didn't even know about this. This is something, you know, that was kind of worldwide at the time. I never heard of it. Yeah, I was probably too. I was first year of college. I was probably just an idiot kid. Yeah. Yeah. It- so this is my voice saying do better. Yeah. Absolutely. Take that extra effort and do better because this is the only planet that we have, mm-hmm. you know. And and these kids went through some traumatic crap to try, sure did. to try to just get that message out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of them are just really messed up by this, you know, because that's that's traumatizing. Yeah, it is. And you know, you know unfortunately, a couple of these people won't ever have a chance to get some redemption. You know, uh, Tim Leach he he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, Doctor Mac. Mac, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was pretty tragic. Was a tra- uh, an accident, right? Yeah, I think he was killed by a drunk driver. I mean, it's just it's sad that those two individuals can't see, you know, get some type of path of redemption in in their local community. But hopefully, if you're listening to the show and and you if you ever wa- have an opportunity, um, there are some things that you can watch and different things that you can read about the event. Yeah, so on on YouTube, there is a clip of the BBC News story that you Mm -hmm. can watch that they did, and they were the first ones on the scene, basically. Right. Um, But I really highly recommend, if you're interested in this, so they did a documentary called The Aerial Phenomenon, and it goes there, goes to the school. It shows the clips from some of John Mack's interviews with the kids. Mm-hmm. It it follows um, Emily going back to the school and kind of her experience. And it is... I just felt very emotional watching it. Yeah, it was very emotional. Um, especially because I work with kids and right. I know what they probably went through. And I, and I understand probably how they felt um, where a lot of adults may not get that. You know, yeah, I, I felt a personal to tie to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, my emotional with that was the PTSD part, you know, knowing that what just seeing what it's done to, you know, unfortunately, the, the two members that passed, but also to the kids that are still around that, you know, it's had a profound impact on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, yeah, I mean, honestly, Nikki's right. Uh, if you have the chance, it's on. um I mean, I think we bought it for what ten bucks on Apple. It's uh, yeah. What is it again? Uh, aerial phenomenon. Aerial phenomenon. That's right. Mm-hmm. But um, was there anything else you wanted to, to cover? Um, we'll you know post. We've got lots of pictures. Um, okay. But I found some of the drawings from the kids. You know, the one that I don't think I mentioned yet is there. Were, there was a few kids that said something about how it was very shimmery like the craft was shimmery mm-hmm. and there's one picture here of a kid that drew kind of looks like a starburst mm-hmm. looking and with blue but the quote was like it shone like water in the sun hmm. so 
that's maybe kinda like, like and when they talked about it, it was like it it kind of like went you know when they talked about how they could see it but then they couldn't see like it translucent yeah so mm-hmm. like maybe it was coming in and out of their vision that's what I think personally that means. Or maybe they were For, coming back and forth and they were getting abducted. Who knows? <laughs> I, mean, I know. mean, but that's how a kid would describe sure. something yeah. like that. Right. But, you know, there there's quite a few drawings I've got on here. Of course, we've got Emily's on here. Right. Um, you know, and, the, and what I find fascinating is they're so much alike. Yeah. I mean... There's variations, but again, well, at the yeah, core, but it's from what they remember, right? That's what I'm saying. If they all made, you got sixty kids in a playground, ages six to twelve. In ten minutes, they're coming up with a story about how they saw this thing land. They're not going to collaborate and be like, okay, well, when because they don't know what's coming after that. They're not going to go inside the school. All draw essentially the same thing. Well, mm-hmm. make sure that you, you know, you're going to tell a six-year-old kid, make sure that you draw, draw it like this, with right. this underneath, with the trees here, and with the person looking like this. Come on now. Right. I mean, <laughs> you're it's You're not going to do that. You can't even get adults to do that. <laughs> no. And what's funny about that is you can't, you can't expect, uh, you know, just a couple of kids of your own. You go upstairs and something happens and then something breaks. You come downstairs and there's 17 different stories of what it could have possibly been, oh, up yeah. to and including that you did it, even though you were upstairs. I just want you to know, Dad, <laughs> that I wasn't there. Yeah, I wasn't there. <laughs> oh, right? man. And I mean, it's just, I know people are going to try to disprove it. And me personally, as far as how I view aliens, I think there is life out there because I don't think my one of my favorite movies is Contact. Oh, yeah. Great movie. Yeah. And, you know, Matthew McConaughey and... Uh, Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Yeah, it took me a second. Um, because it, it it kind of goes with that whole, like, she, you know, doesn't really believe in God, but right. he's, you know, he does. And, but she's, you know, a scientist and they hear this sound, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And she, she feels that she's been taken and shown something in another planet but Mm. it only passed on earth within a few seconds right and people of course do the thing that we do and broke her down and said she was crazy and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and he stands by her side and says i believe you because he has faith in other things we can't and one of my favorite quotes from that movie and i don't know if i'll get it exactly because it's been a very long time since i've watched it is he says Basically, when he stands up for her, he goes, we can't, or no, she says this, she says this. A little kid actually asks her, you know, basically if there's life on other planets. And she said, well, she doesn't say yes or no. She says, well, I just think there's a a huge, you know, world and a huge universe. It'd be pretty crazy to think we're the only ones that exist. Yeah, that's actually pretty close. it's I don't know exactly Sagan how quote. she says it, but I just remember like that making a huge impact on me when I was a kid watching yeah. this movie because it's true. Yeah. Why would we have this huge universe and we be the only things allowed to live on it? Yeah, and that's a Carl Sagan quote, actually. And I think it was, I think you got most of it right, but if I remember right, it's um, if there wasn't any other life out there, it would be an awful waste of space, I think is something around Yeah, that something, like, something that. like that. Yeah, but yeah that was Carl Sagan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, what I like at the end of the movie is, you know, the media is breaking her down and mm-hmm. and he stands by her side and essentially says, you know, well, he goes, you know, I'm a man of faith 
and we may disagree on that aspect of it. He goes, but he goes, there could be something yeah. there. You know, I believe, I believe her, Yeah. you know, cause why would she lie about something like exactly. this? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So that's my thought. I, I may not believe every alien UFO, the abduction stuff. Right. I'm on the fence about that stuff because yeah. you, you know, and one thing that was brought up in this, this whole, um, thing I kept saying is seeing is believing, seeing is believing, but you can't see everything. Nope. You can't know, see and, molecule, and the one thing there. they were talking about the Harvard thing is, you know, one of, one of the lawyers was like, you know, that they're, they're quick to investigate angels and, and, and all this ghosts and everything else, but when it comes to UFOs, it's like no. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's the that's the line right. where people now are crazy. Right. It's like you can't be open to all this stuff and then just say that. That's why we do this podcast because mm-hmm. you know there's so many paranormal things and people. We we are curious at birth. We're curious as children. We don't stop being curious. We just get busy with the mundane. stuff of our life and we stop thinking about it but when you see something like this or something happens to you it changes your perspective of what's really important and i think that's what happened to the bbc reporter what happened to john mack they saw this on these kids faces they knew that they couldn't disprove it and something actually happened and it completely changed their trajectory of you know their career and probably their personal lives, I would imagine. And that was more important than staying relevant into Harvard or staying relevant at the BBC. This was more important because I knew there was something else out there and I'm sorry, but that's, that's more important to investigate something like that. You know, yeah, there, you know, it, it hits you on a personal level, I think. And so I'm more inclined to believe them and believe these kids than I am all the naysayers about, well, that didn't happen in this, you know, because until it happens to you, you don't believe it. And it's just like with the ghost stuff. A lot of people don't believe in ghosts and it's fine if you don't, mm-hmm. but like you and I have had experiences Absolutely. separate and mm-hmm. together. Um, and so I do believe in them, Yeah, but they're, you know, in most people that you speak to, that don't believe in have never had an experience. So how can you, that's why the seeing is believing is such a big thing, but you can't always see. No. Sometimes it's just a feeling, you know, some, and and that's what I'm saying. It's like, they didn't, you know, John Mack and was it Tim, Tim, Tim Leach, Tim Leach Mm -hmm. didn't see this happen. Nope. They didn't need to see it happen. All they needed to see was these kids and the feeling they got from it. And that was enough for them. Yeah, I mean, folks, I couldn't. I don't think there's any better way to segue from that. <laughs> I mean, that's that is what we do on this show. That is what we explore. Um, you know, it, it's sometimes it's just what you feel. It doesn't necessarily mean what you have to see. And um, you know, that is that is literally paranormal wrapped up in a bow. Yeah. So, well, listen. Thank you so much for for sticking around, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Our podcast is available just about everywhere you can put a podcast these days. Thank you and have a great day.